0: Welcome back to Expanding Circles, the podcast about everyday origin stories. I'm your host, Jonathan Isaacson. Well, I'm normally your host. This episode is a bit of a change, as I turn over the host chair to Ian Randall as he gets to the bottom of my origin story. It's a bit long, but please forgive this little self-indulgence and enjoy. All right, so how's it going today?
1: This is good. I'm in the wrong seat today. Yeah. Welcome to the reverse.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah.
1: So this is a a time where we get to ask you questions, and we get to find out about your origin story. Indeed it is. Yeah. So I think um, let's jump into the most logical point. How did you get here?
0: Here as in...
1: Yeah, I guess here as in the profession here as in Japan. Let's start with uh, what led you to start teaching in Japan.
0: So when I was in university... Um, Where was that? I went to school in uh, in Wisconsin at a small college. It was called a university because there was a, a college and music conservatory together. Um, so it was Lawrence University mm. up in Appleton, um, which is half an hour south of green bay so it's not way up in in wisconsin but it's about halfway up Mm -hmm. so um so i was studying at lawrence i actually started my university career at university of missouri kansas city okay um as a trumpet performance major really yeah so i started at umkc and had a miserable experience um Ended up leaving the school after one semester. Mm. Um, went home, did a semester at community college. Where uh, was home? If I could. home, Ch- Chicago-ish. Okay. Um, at the time, I was I was at my mother's, which is in Aurora, which okay. is outside of Chicago. And so, I went to Wabansie Community College for a semester, um, and then. Went to Lawrence, my second year of university, still as a trumpet performance major. Mm -hmm. um, And that lasted for another year as a a trumpet major. Um, And looking around, okay, what else could I study? History? Yeah, I like history. Um, My grandfather was a history professor. You know, family road trips, hey, let's stop at the historical marker. Hey, there's a historical marker, 10 miles that way, let's go, kind of thing. So you know, history is normal for us. Um, so I decided, okay, history major. Kind of by a, on a whim, I took a... Uh, which was the first I took? I think traditional East Asian uh, cultures and societies or something like that. I've turned remember if I took traditional or modern first. Because we offered both. It was basically early history and modern history of East Asia. Um, I took for, I took one of those two first and I liked it was an interesting course, um, and I ended up asking that the, our East Asian history professor to be my advisor. Mm. Um, and so uh, Professor Frank Derringer, great guy, um, ended up being my advisor, and my third year of university, we had a, uh, started a new program at my school where we were one of many schools in the States that had partnered up with Waseda here in Tokyo. Um, And what the program was, was Waseda was sending students study abroad for a year, Um, similar to the ASP program here at TIU, um, but not in quite as many at one school. Mm -hmm. So we, I think we had like 15 or 20 Waseda students at our school. And so my junior year, that was a new program. And My advisor, Professor Derringer, suggested, hey, have you ever thought about being a roommate for one of these Waseda students? No, but sounds kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, sure, I'll I'll sign up and volunteer for that. So my junior year, um, I was roommates with one of the students from Waseda and got to know all the students from Waseda that were studying at Lawrence. And at the same time, I started to take Japanese language courses Okay. because um, that was also starting the same year. It was a brand new program. Um, was the Japanese language, so kind of the combination of those two things. It's like okay, now I have an interest in East Asian, Japan specifically. After my junior year, after third year of university, um, I got to come to Japan on. It was, I think, it's the Freeman Foundation, I want to say, is the name of the group that was... It was the kind of the sponsors all, of East Asian studies of all, in a lot of universities in the States and help programs get started. And so they sent us to Japan on their dime. Mm. Um, so we got a nice... Was it 10, 12 days in Japan? Um, all expenses paid. Stayed in some really nice hotels. Cool. Nicer than all our state. Probably my life again. Wow. Um, <laughs> and... Just absolutely loved it. Um, And so then I kept my Japanese studies up my senior year, graduated, and said, okay, what's next? Have you thought about JET? The Japan Exchange and Teaching, I think is what JET stands for. Yeah,
1: the acronym, something like that. Yeah,
0: something along those lines. And so I signed up for that, got accepted, um, and said... Send me wherever. I don't care. Uh, I didn't have a preference, um, which I think was probably one of the best decisions I made um, was to say wherever because I got sent to rural Japan up in the north, in Akita. Okay. Um, This little town on the coast. I mean, I know people have been in smaller towns and all, but this was, I think, was the Kisakata. When I got there, it was like a little more than 10,000 people.
1: Okay, that was going to be my next question. Yeah,
0: I mean, it was a little more than 10,000, I think, but it was kind of spread out. Because if you know anything about the way Japan municipalities work, they keep merging together. Mm. Um, I mean, the Japanese words, one of one of the words I learned when I came to Japan, Because um, I, I mean, I'd studied Japanese for a couple of years, but that's not the kind of word that you learn in a textbook you know, town merger. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, gappe, So they, and Kisakata had, back in the 50s or 60s or something, had merged with two other little villages. So it's a fairly large spread out area with 10,000 people in it. Right. Um, so pretty small to place. And now Kisakata's then gappe again and is now part of a larger municipality that's still pretty rural. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I was there. Um, in Kisakata, uh, teaching in the junior high school and in the two smaller elementary schools in town. So that's how I got started teaching English in Japan. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: So that's, I mean, a couple of questions just kind of jumped to my mind from this. Um, now, you were studying history before you started studying the language, correct? Right. What came first? Was the just the uh, the history leading you to the language, or was it an interest in language? Oh, I like language. I'm studying this history. I might as well learn some of the language to help learn more about the history too.
0: Or how did those feed into each other? Again, it was I mean, it was all Professor Derringer is doing. I think um, because, like I say, it was my so it was my it was my second my first year at Lawrence. Right. I was still a trumpet major, but I was realizing this wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I was kind of looking, starting to look outside the music program and say, okay, what are some other courses I could take? Here's a course that looks interesting. It fits my schedule. And it was the, I want to say it was traditional East Asian culture and I forget the exact name of the, yeah. the course, but it was the traditional, the early Asian history uh, course. And so that was kind of my introduction into Asian studies because mm-hmm. I had never studied really anything in depth about East Asia or any of Asia. I mean as you're, most of you are well aware, American, you know, studying uh, things about Asia, what do we learn? We learn uh, the bomb, Yeah,
1: Pearl th- Harbor. We only really learn about them in context of U.S. history. You know, don't get a lot of independent. This doesn't concern the United
0: States. Exactly. I yeah. mean, I think maybe the most, like, we, we, we learn, okay, there was this guy named Mao in yeah. China. And he's bad. And that's kind of the extent of the non-direct influence on America, but kind of indirect influence on America as yeah. well. But yeah, so anyway, my stu- my knowledge of Asian things was, you know, the little bit from school and then just other stuff I picked up on my own randomly. Um, so that my course in my sophomore year was my first real introduction into Asian studies. And then, like I say, Professor just suggested me to do, to do the uh, roommate philosophy, thing, and so that led to the language. Mm. So it was kind of history led to this exchange program led to Japanese language.
1: Okay, that's really yeah, that's an interesting kind of trajectory there. And from knowing about the culture, and knowing about the some of the history, did you find that that helped you with learning the language or understanding more?
0: Um, I don't know. I'm not consciously. Mm. Um, if there was anything, it was entirely subconscious um, yeah there's nothing that I can say directly it's like oh because I understand the culture because I know the history that no n- there's not a
1: direct correlation not as far not as not a I direct know. like oh I got this because of that
0: right exactly it's, so like I said maybe there's something subconscious going on but not, if, it, if it's yeah. subconscious by definition I don't know it yeah exactly well towards a similar question uh, like that
1: then you uh, you had the studies on culture and you had a bit about the language already when you came to japan did uh that pre-knowledge kind of connect to the
0: reality that you were in or were
1: there some differences or... oh no
0: it absolutely it it really it really was helpful um again because like i said i was in this small town yeah out and so if you know about the the like the geography of Japan, the majority of the population is on the is on the Pacific coast side right. of the country, and the Sea of Japan side, it, it's more sparsely populated in yeah. that part of Japan. Um, there are a few big cities going up and down the Sea of Japan coast, but not as big as this as the Pacific coast. Right, right. And so, especially being in a small town on the Sea of Japan coast you're kind of reliant on the people around you who are almost entirely Japanese and not English speaking right so having even a little japanese <laughs> knowledge having a little japanese culture like cultural understanding goes a long way in those situations and i think because of that i honestly feel like my experience hence in those first couple of years was a lot richer than it could have been Mm -hmm. had I been in another place had I been in a different situation yeah because of just this confluence of how it all fits together it's like I had this absolutely wonderful experience Um, not so much professionally or you know job related at the time but everything outside of that well so if I can put a pin on that
1: job related part and go back to what you said about um having the the knowledge and having that experience before uh why don't you tell me a little bit like what your routine was like when you were living uh in this uh, city like tell me a little bit about some of the things that you did what you found for fun uh people that you met okay so
0: so like i said kisakata when i was there 10, 12,000 people. That's, I think it's smaller now. Um, they're losing population up that area, real fast, which is sad. But yeah, that's not that's a different that's another podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, like I say go to work. And the nice thing was being an ALT, um, assistant language teacher, is that we got to leave off the office a lot earlier than everyone else. Right. Um, because we're not full, we're not full time. Uh, and that's part of the deal. It's like officially you are not a full-time employee. Mm-hmm. You're an almost full-time employee. But you don't have the responsibilities of club activities, things like that. So I was usually out of the office by 4 o'clock. Wow. Yeah. So go in at 8 in the morning, leave at 4. So. Um, well, how late were the other employees there? It depends on if they were in charge of clubs or not. Yeah. Uh, Some if, if they were in charge of a, a sports club, 7, 8 o'clock is, was normal.
1: Yeah, that's the difference between... <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so I had a lot of time um, to kind of explore and just kind of wander around. And I did a lot of that, just kind of wander around the town. Um, that's actually where I really got seriously started with my bike riding. Um, as a lot of you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid cyclist. Um, and I'd always liked bicycles back in the States. I had a decent bike when I was living in the States. But nothing, you know, like super crazy insane like i am now <laughs> um but one of the ways i got started was i bought myself a mountain bike and i would kind of ride around just kind of see what was in the town go up into the into the hills around the town you know that was a great way to see what what it was in the area yeah um and i didn't actually leave my little town very often i spent most of my time just in Kisikata, hanging out. Um, Weekends, I'd go down to the the bar down by the, the station. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to the Jolly Roger. Um, <laughs> so if you're ever in Kisakata, I doubt you ever will be, most of you. But if you are, stop in the in the Jolly Roger, say hi to Hyodo, great guy. So yeah, I'd go there on the weekends. Um, actually end up forming a, a rock band with some of the regulars there. Okay, uh, so
1: the music you were still playing. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. So, but yeah, so I did that. And it's, it's Akita, so winter, if you don't do winter sports, you're going to be stuck inside all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I started snowboarding. Again, when you finish at 4 o'clock? And the nearby ski area has night skiing. Yeah. Hey. Uh, my last year in, in, in Akita, I think I went snowboarding like 30, 40 times just because... I mean, it was cheap, it was nearby, I could do it after work. Wow. So Yeah, it sounds like, sounds like it was pretty active for
1: a, a a smaller town, but it sounds like you found a lot of things to do. Absolutely.
0: And that's, you know, it's, like I say, I'm glad <clears throat> I said, put me wherever and they put me where they did.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely, it sounds like you had a lot of great
0: singular experience. Well, absolutely. There. I mean, I go back um, every year because there's a mountain bike ride that I participate in that's actually in the town, in Kisakata, so. I'm how back. long is that ride? Uh, it depends on the course. It's usually at least 100 kilometers. <laughs> uh, I think last last year was 120. I think they're using the same course this year, so another 120. Longest I've done was 160. 160 kilometers. Yeah, so 100 miles. So how long of straight cycling
1: is that?
0: Uh, I mean, there are, you, you, you have, you know, breaks to get some food because they have a nice aid station oh, sure, to get yeah. food and all. But, Otherwise um, you might not survive the ride. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a 5 a.m. start and finish at like 4, 5 in the afternoon. That's So yeah, somewhere between 10 to 12 hours on a bike. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Your leg muscles must be just like made of iron. <laughs> it's part of why I hate the skinny jean <laughs> craze that's going on not just in Japan yeah. but also America. It's like skinny! No. Yeah. It'll fit... Everywhere but my
1: thigh muscles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need like reverse jinko jeans. Something like continue. that, like, like inverted bell bottoms. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, all right. Well, if we can jump back to your work at that time. You were teaching junior high and elementary school students. Yep. You said that it wasn't the
0: most fulfilling there. Right. Um, elementary school was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was because... Elementary school teachers are general education teachers. They're not specific to one uh, subject. Most of them. Yeah. I mean, most of them have a strength, but they're not specialized. They're because they teach all the subjects to all the kids. Right. Um. And so, in those cases, they say, "Hey, we don't really speak a lot of English. You do. <laughs> you teach the class. Okay. <laughs> I was fine with that. Um. Small classes. Yeah. Because these are the two, like, say, rural. Japan in the smallest of the schools in a small town. Yeah. <laughs> um, so each both schools had uh, a one one section of each year. So there was only one first grade class, one second grade class. So the the larger of the two, I think, it was like about eighteen to twenty kids okay. per grade, and the smaller of the two was like ten or twelve kids per grade, and so small class. I'm basically in charge, and the Japanese teacher is there just kind of to keep the kids in line. But they were good kids. They didn't need it. So it's like, okay,
1: do this. So that was a lot of fun. What were some of the favorite things that you got to teach them?
0: Oh, I mean, just lots of—with the elementary English education in Japan, especially a decade ago, it was real, real basic stuff. Just, okay, colors. I like—what's your favorite color? What's your favorite animal? What's your favorite—that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just lots of games. Um, yeah, you know, with scare quotes that you be, it's an activity you turn into a game. Yeah. Just put a put a, some dice into it and it's a game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: I think that yeah, that it's a good way of trying to get kids motivated about learning is to trick them a little bit absolutely yeah it's absolutely. hiding the medicine in the vegetables or, absolutely or wait no that's a terrible <laughs> idea hey let's take two bad things and put them together yeah it's like so the I medicine in the ice cream yeah
0: exactly that's it but, yeah <laughs> but yeah so the elementary school was great but it was junior high that was just it was a it was what was difficult about the junior high so the and there, there's a a long-standing joke I guess you could say amongst the JET and other ALT uh, folk that the, the human tape recorder, mm. that a lot of times the ALTs are asked to be the human tape recorder. Okay. <laughs> Here, read the textbook. Ooh. Okay, thank you. And that's it. And a lot of the classes, that's what it was. Mm. Um, and I kind of ended up being relegated to only teaching the first, help, helping teach the first year, not the second or third year. Okay. In the third year, I understand more because they're getting the kids ready for the entrance exams for high school and la da la da. You know that's <laughs> that's again. This is also me speaking now with you know a lot more experience and you know and a master saying hey I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but at the time, you know, I was I was you know 22, 23 years old, didn't know what I was doing yet. And uh, so it's like okay, just do what they tell me. And mm-hmm. it was go here, read the textbook. And what they're telling you is very boring. Exactly, <laughs> and so, and I would just sit there, and be like, okay, I can do something. No, you want me to do something? No. No. Okay. So I just sit and sit in the office at my desk, mm. do nothing, and it was pretty.
1: <sighs> yeah, I could see that be making for a really tough
0: position. Yeah, and so it was one of those things that. If I didn't have all that other stuff outside of work, yeah, I wouldn't have stuck around for the three years. But because I had, you know, I had the band, I had the cycling, I had the snowboarding, you know, I had the friends mm-hmm. outside of work. It was like, okay, yeah, work's not exactly great. Elementary school's fun. That's two days a week. Mm-hmm. All the stuff outside of work, that's great. I could stick out three years and deal with, you know, the crappy three days a week. But then you did three years there, so what you said. What uh, happened after that point? So after I finish up my ALT contract, because I could only do three years at the time. Right. Um, they were just kind of making the transition, but my, my place didn't have the five-year option yet. Mm. Um, and so I said, okay, I'm not ready to leave Japan. Um, now, mind you, this is when I first came to Japan in 2004. Mm-hmm. Almost 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, I figured I'll be here one, two years, three years most. Um, Obviously, that hasn't happened 14 (laughs) years later. Um, But so I'm thinking, okay, I want to stay in Japan. What can I do? I want to go north. I like north. When I was in Kisakata, I had uh, had a chance um, one golden week on vacation. I went up to Hakodate. Mm. Uh, which is in Hokkaido for those of you who don't know Um, lovely city and I was like hey this is kind of cool I wonder if I can find a job in Hokkaido maybe in Hakodate and uh, looking around on the Japan job boards and hey what do you know there's an Eikaiwa job in in Hakodate and they hired me wow hey okay (laughs) All right. so um, I end up in Hakodate um, doing Eikaiwa which English Conversation schools which are Everywhere in Japan, mm-hmm. and this was just a this was a small private run one. So it wasn't it wasn't one of the big ones. I avoided the whole Nova explosion that many of you know about. Um, yeah, I some of my friends did not, but I was fortunate that I I never had to deal with like the big Akaiwa companies. Mm-hmm. Um, just this small private family run Akaiwa, and I did that for two and a half, about two and a half years, um, and it was nice enough. It was definitely a different experience. Um, it was better than the junior high school. I'll put it that way. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was better, <laughs> a lot better than the junior high school. And it has drawbacks. And I wouldn't want to do a Kiowa again if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it was a good stepping stone along my, along my path. Okay.
1: So for that, though, it was really just the traditional conversation school style. No hard like this is the curriculum you have to follow like or something no no it was
0: like here's the interchange textbooks Mm -hmm. use them okay
1: okay and this helps start your uh air quotes uh love affair with interchange yeah
0: (laughs) again that's another podcast yeah Yeah. but yeah so um here's the textbook teach using this textbook
1: what was similar? What was different about teaching children and younger, uh, you know, people and adults? What did you think was uh, the real, like you know, uh, parts of the Venn diagram?
0: For um, that?
1: they used English. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that's the one. That's, that, that's an honestly e- yeah.
0: because of the settings were also so different. It was just so different. Yeah, um, because in the Akawa, it was. Me and, like, five to seven, mostly, I mostly taught adults. I taught a few kids' classes. No, really, there it was night and day. I mean, I'm teaching English. That's right. kind of the similarity. That's, honestly, for me personally, that's kind of where the similarities started and ended. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, I did that, and it was okay. I mm. say it was... It wasn't a bad experience, I'll put it that way. Yeah, um, not my favorite it,
1: job, but it's not something that you want to do again. But it's not something that was wholly
0: unpleasant. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, that was that was, say, that was okay. But at the same time, um, so bec- and again, because this was a private run uh, Akiwa, they had contracts with the local. Uh, Education University of Education Oh okay Um, So I ended up teaching Two classes a week At Hokkaido University of Education Hakodate campus Um, Teaching kind of just basic English It was kind of a four skills Kind of English course Um, So twice a Monday And Friday mornings Wow Were these four credit classes For the students? Yeah these Because it, it was a case Where they I think Everyone who's an education major And since it's a University of Education That was almost the entire campus Yeah had to take basic English courses. Right. And they didn't have enough full time faculty to cover all that. And so they would, they hired a lot of the, they, they set up contracts with like some of those private, uh, Akaiwa comp- companies around the town, around the city. And so, uh, yeah, they brought us in to teach, uh, I, was a, I think, i think trying to remember if it was a, if it was truly a four-skills course or if it was a focus on one or the other. But mm-hmm. I think it was a four-skills course, but, again, not really that important. Yeah. But, yeah, so that was kind of my first uh, taste of teaching at tertiary level. <laughs> it was like, hey, I like this. Oh, okay. I, I like this. This is – it is – it's an age group. I actually realized I like teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I like teaching these kids who are kids, young adults. <laughs> um we're getting to the point where we say kids because we're old. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But I know, yeah. yeah t- teaching 18 to, tw-
1: you know, somewhere t-
0: between 18 and 25, that a- that rough age, age range. Um, I realized, hey, I like teaching this age. Um, I also like the fact that there is a definite start and end. Yeah. Because that was one of the things I disliked about Kaiwa. It's just this, there's no real, there's no goalpost. Mm-hmm. You're just teach until the class, until these students stop taking the class, which in some cases was literally years and decades and decades. So it's like, okay, there's no end. Yeah, there's no clear objective. Right. There's no... It's just, go,
1: go. Which is interesting because that's how the language learning process is, but that's not how the lang- how language classes
0: should operate. Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea learning can go on and on and on. And right. Forever, right. But Hopefully learning class, is forever. Yeah. But well, but in the classroom, it's kind of, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I get what you're saying there. And so,
0: but yeah, so having the university setting was like, Oh, there's a start and an end. Mm hmm. I can plan for that. Right. That was kind of, I like that. <laughs> um, and so that was my first experience with, with like that. And I was like, Hey, this might be something I want to, want to, want to pursue. Um, and so I did. So i say two and a half years at the Kaiwa and then at the those two courses a week at the university. Um, and so I said, okay, now what? Yeah. And so, again, looking at the job boards and I find a posting. At this point, I had wanted to stay in Hokkaido um, because I liked Hokkaido. Um I had a girlfriend, who now my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, she's from Hokkaido. Um, so I said, okay, I want to stay in Hokkaido. And at that point, I didn't have my master's yet. Right. Um, I'd had, I had at that point, six, almost six years, five and a half, six years experience yeah. teaching in Japan. Full-time teaching. Full-time yeah. teaching um, at kind of all various levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, okay, there's not a lot of, There are not a lot of university positions I'm yet qualified for, um, but I found a posting for a uh, position at a professional school, uh, technical school, whatever you you like to call it. Senmongakko in Japanese. Um, And it was in the Sapporo area. And so, again, I applied for that. Um, Catch a kind of funny story on that one. So, my girlfriend now wife at my girl at the time we went to niseko because ever we went which is the big big ski resort in um, hokkaido mm-hmm. and we we went every year um once a year every year we did until we left hokkaido actually um and we that was we planned to go to niseko and i also knew that there was a chance that i was getting get an email and say hey can you come for an interview so <laughs> In my car, we pack all of our snowboard, our, our, snow, our wear, our, our boots and everything. All ready. And I throw in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> now, so we go from Hakodate, we drive to Niseko, which is kind of halfway between um, Sapporo and Hakodate. And so I check my email at, that Saturday night and say, hey, can you be in Sapporo for, for a, an interview tomorrow? Um, sure. <laughs> How far are these away from each other? If you... Um, if you're not taking the expressway, Hakodate to Niseko is about what, two and a half, three hours. Okay. And then another two ish hours onto Sapporo maybe. So maybe, that's maybe not
1: right around each not
0: other. Not right next to each other, but there, there are a few hours between each. And so, okay, sure. <laughs> so I go to the interview with all of my snowboard stuff in my car. Um, it was, luck- luckily, my wife's uh, sisters lived in Sapporo, so we had a place to park the car and leave our stuff. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, went interviewed for that uh, on the snowboard weekend. <laughs> well, you could have brought the snowboard into the interview. could have brought it in, although it was in a very nice uh, tea house, tea, not tea house, tea... Room mm-hmm. in a, one of the swanky hotels ah. in, in Sapporo. So, they probably would have frowned upon that. Yeah, I don't think that would have jived. Yeah. No. So, but yeah, so I did that. I uh, did the interview, got the job. Um, All right. Okay. So, off to uh, support, well, not Sapporo yet, in just outside Sapporo. Um, okay. Teaching at a technical school for, as I explained it, everyone in the hospital except for the doctors. Okay. Um, so you got nurses, EMTs, uh, clinical technicians. Um, so administrative staff. Ad, yep. Hospital administration, uh, pharmacy administration. Um, so everyone. Pretty much. Yeah. Really everyone except for the doctors. They're <laughs> at this at this simon gakko, and I ended up doing that job five years. Okay. So it was a it was a nice it was nice. Um, I was completely in charge of the classes on my own. Is like, okay, go and teach class. So at that point, I'm fully teaching full-time, by myself, in a tertiary setting. So you're essentially coming up with your own curriculum? We had a textbook, um, mm-hmm. but what you did with the textbook was kind of up to you. Okay. Um, I did have to come up with my own curriculum for uh, EMTs. Mm. That was a challenge. Why did you have to come up with this group specifically? What was the challenge? Because the de- the EMT department was asking for medical EMT specific course, and the other ones were mostly
1: just general English. Okay, yeah. So and, for this one, because it's an emergency, we have to be able to ask these questions. Uh, yeah, Who I knows? think I think that
0: was probably the thinking of the the department head. Okay. But yeah, that, and so that course was entirely my own design. Um, and also teaching 50 young men at a shot. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a challenge. I was going to say, how did you manage a class so large? Like, what did you do? Um a lot of pair work and just yeah. if students decide to sleep there's not
1: much you can do about it yeah so you gotta just kind of let them be and
0: yeah just focus on the ones who are awake yeah okay. and you know if they're being problematic you know do something about it but if they're not causing problems just kind of say yeah. okay we're just we focusing gotta, yeah, on this other, Yeah, I don't have time for you
1: yeah we got we have other I've got like 49 other bodies to yeah. like pay attention to
0: and again because I mean, it, it was the EMT course. I think, I mean, there were, there were always in two sections because the total there were 100 of them. Mm. And out of the 100, they're like, I think the biggest group I had was five out of 100 were female. So <laughs> each class was like 48, 49 young men and like one or two young women. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird dynamic occasionally.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> hmm. uh, I could see that being an odd uh, balance in the class.
0: It was also the course because they would because they always had they PE courses because they're training to be firefighters and EMTs so they Mm have to have you know be strong and be able to lift people when necessary so they would have PE class often right before mine okay so they're endorphined
1: up and (laughs) they would
0: well also they would they didn't have I mean they had locker rooms oh. But the young men would just be walking around in their underwear, changing as I was walking into the classroom. <laughs> so that was always interesting.
1: Okay. I was wondering if they didn't have locker rooms, then they might not have had showers, too. No. Okay, they, so... No
0: showers. They just had the the, uh, the, the 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 wet wipes. Okay,
1: so... The body wipes. Yeah, it sounds like it could be
0: a, like kind of a funky room. Yeah, you got used to it, though. No, okay. All I mean, right. it was a big enough room, and they... They they had a lot of body wipes. Okay, all right. It was a very body
1: wipe smelly room. You didn't sometimes. have, like, today's vocabulary is pungent. Uh, <laughs> no, we didn't do that. Malodorous. We did <laughs> not do that. Yeah, no. okay. But, <laughs> Good. but,
0: yeah. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was interesting.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that's a, a really impressive thing there where you get to, like, create and work with such a specific but varied kind of group of people. I mean... Uh, from te- the comparing the university teaching that you've done, uh, I know uh, we already talked about like the junior high and uh, elementary versus at Kiowa. What about for university to university, like teaching at that school versus teaching at Tiu? I know the the different uh, majors of our students yeah. provide a change, but are there any other changes or any other similarities that you've seen or?
0: Um, I mean, one thing that's definitely uh, a big difference too is that, and because at uh, the the professional school, it was very traditional Japanese scheduling Mm -hmm. and very traditional Japanese classroom, in that you would have one class once a week for 90 minutes. Right. And the class was everyone together, all the majors, all levels. Well, they, they had, in most, I think most of the courses were three-year courses at the okay. school. And so it was first year, second year, third year. Oh, okay. And in most cases, I only taught one of the... There were a couple I taught first and second year. But it was mostly just for... I mostly just taught the first-year students. But you would have... I think my smallest courses were 20. Okay. Wow. And my big ones were 50. And so that was... Again, just the dynamic is so different than what we have here. Yeah. Um, that... There's no time for individual attention. Oh yeah, no, I I could see that. Yeah. Um, So you have to make a lot of use of group work, a lot of Mm -hmm. use of hey, talk to your partners. Um, So there was a lot of that, Um, and I would say another difference too is that there, because they weren't English majors, all English levels were put together. Right. So you had some students who had. Not great English, but you know, decent English. Mm-hmm. Um, with students who were were false beginners, right, in the same class, which, as we all know, it can be a challenge. I mean, yeah, there are things to do with it, but
1: it's not easy. No, no, it uh, it requires a lot more planning, and it requires being uh, really flexible with your lessons. Yeah. So that, yeah. yeah,
0: so that so that was that's a big difference, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the nice things here is that things are leveled which I which was a nice nice thing so
1: <laughs> yeah I can definitely appreciate a bit of a, a bit of a recognition of difference levels right. yeah so the so okay so those are the different parts to it and also I guess speaking of similarities or differences too I mean you've lived in the north of Japan and now you're living here outside the Tokyo area. Mm-hmm. I uh, obviously there are the v- very clear differences in climate or in geography, but uh, any other differences that you have found or you okay, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. A, that's a that <laughs> oh, is yeah. a clear sign of yes. That head oh, shaking, oh yes,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Um, now, of course, when you compare. They talking about the Tokyo area. Yeah. You compare it to other major metropolitan areas, it still is very it's on the polite side. World like world scale. Right. It's on the polite side of things.
1: Yeah. It's not what like living in Chicago, you or living around Chicago too, you
0: understand what it's like from
1: a uh, American metropolitan city. Right.
0: And and I've been to enough other major yeah. metropolitan areas, like especially in Asia. Mm-hmm. Tokyo is relatively speaking on the world scale a polite city right on the japan national level it's a rude city mm <laughs> um it, it's and it, sh, it shows up so often in driving around just people's driving manners are really bad um, Oh, you know, it drives me nuts, especially as someone who rides my bike and walks places. I was going
1: to say, I mean, you have this from three those that that and as a driver, you've got it on from all
0: three angles, right? So it just that's a that's a big big difference. That and up north, I mean, maybe this is somewhat rose tinted glasses and all, but I don't think it's just that. I think there is at least some truth in it. But up north, people are better drivers. They're more polite. Um, it's just, I mean, I. I don't, know if it's it's, I don't think it's people are being rude down here. I think it's more indifference. Mm. Just because mm. it's, a, it's, it's a coping mechanism when you live in a metropolitan an area of, what, 30, 40 million people? Like the largest metropolitan area in the world? Yeah. It's a coping mechanism. You have to be indifferent at a some level. Otherwise, you're going to go insane, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Sapporo, where I live, I lived in the Sapporo area for five years, too, in Sapporo proper. You know, Sapporo is a little over 2 million. You know, even at the smallest estimate of the Tokyo metro area, that's one-tenth the size. (laughs) Yes. It's a a world of difference. I mean, Sapporo's clearly a big city, but it's not a Tokyo it's not an Osaka.
1: I guess it's a little bit like what you're saying with the, uh, the the small class sizes versus the large class sizes. There's some of that. When they're small, we can pay attention to individuals, or we can like look at that. When it's big, it's just you gotta just go.
0: Yeah, and I, th- and I think there maybe that might be some of what's going on here in the Tokyo area. It's just there's just so many people. I mean, you just gotta deal with it. Yeah. And How are we gonna deal with it? And some of that means you're gonna be indifferent to some things because mm-hmm. you can't. Yeah. You can't worry about everything. Right. Otherwise, you'd go insane. You'd go insane. You'd never get anything done. Right, right. um, So that's that's one of the big differences. Um, Another one, and that's maybe maybe this is more Kawagoi-specific, there are no sidewalks. No,
1: there are not.
0: There are no sidewalks anywhere, and that's especially with a young daughter who's going to be walking relatively soon. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't like that. No, no, that's I would be horrified. Um, so that's something that yeah, that's definitely something that is. I say it's that's I think more kawagoi specific because other mm-hmm. places in this area I've been do have sidewalks. Okay. Um, I that's... think maybe it's just the nature of Kawagoi being as old of a town as it is, or something, or whatever reason. See, I
1: thought you know from. I mean, this is the only area of Japan that I've lived in. And one of the few places I've been to uh, in the country, it's like, oh, yeah, no no sidewalks anywhere. That's just Japan. No sidewalks. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm glad to hear it's that. Not,
0: I mean, because the town I live like, in, Kisakata, the first place I lived right, on the back streets, there were no sidewalks. Yeah. But it's a, it is a rural town. Right. It is safe to walk on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> not so much around here.
1: No, no. I, I would say that I have at times been a little bit bleh, taken aback by just how, well, that car was pretty close. Or, oh, I've... Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, that bike right behind me, that
0: was... Yeah, no, I've given so many drivers evil eye as mm-hmm. I'm walking or riding my bike, so... Oh,
1: yeah. I actually did see someone do the uh, throw their hands in the air, kind of I'm walking here pose at one, at a driver. It was a it was a, an older man who did it to the driver. So I was like, oh, that is a, that's a really bold statement. <laughs> yeah. So, but again, that goes with uh, the, the rudeness scales across the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's fairly in the middle. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, and so I think other differences too. And another thing that, Living in this area is—we're not far from the mountains. Mm-hmm. We're not far from nature, mm-hmm. but we're not close either. No, um and that's certainly something I miss. Yeah, it takes what about an hour and a half or
1: so to get to Chichibu. Yeah, kind of. and
0: it depends on on you know how what your mode of transportation. Right, right. Um, for me, for cy- a lot of for me, cycling as well. Like if I go yeah. cycling, I prefer to cycle out and. Out in nature because again Mm -hmm. cars right not as many cars right Um, so that's it's safer for me Uh,
1: you only have to worry about those uh, monkeys that are coming out with the the wrenches from the yards or the the rabid foxes
0: yeah yeah (laughs) experience I have experienced both of those Um,
1: we'll have to ask you about those later on kamoshika yeah Mm saros but
0: yeah yeah so that's certainly uh, certainly something yeah so
1: I think Jumping into a different uh, part here, um, if I can, uh, away from talking about geography, uh, is the fact that you've been here for 14 years, you said? Almost. Okay. And I know a lot of the teachers uh, have nowhere near that much amount of time in Japan. Like uh, for myself, this has only been a year and a half for me. Uh, other people, they've only been here one semester. Some folks have just gotten here. What's some advice you would give to new teachers to Japan?
0: Um, get out of your bubble. Mm. That's probably the big one. Just get out of your bubble. Okay. What do you mean by get out of your bubble? Um, I mean both physically, like the area you live in. Yeah. Get out of it. Okay. Go explore other parts of Japan. Yeah. Um, You know take a trip go to the other islands um if you haven't if you haven't been to the other islands go visit kyushu visit hokkaido visit shikoku Mm -hmm. okinawa wherever get out visit the other islands because tokyo is certainly one image of japan Mm -hmm. it's nowhere near the only image of japan i think most people know that but to really explore it it's it's there's some a lot it's there's a lot of amazing stuff out there and it's that's one of the things that I really like about cycling is that I've seen a lot of parts of Japan that a lot of Japanese people don't know about. You know, because I go cycling in weird places and go off on these back roads. And mm-hmm. you just find all these things that people don't know exist in a lot of cases. So um, that that is certainly one thing. And the other thing I would say, get out of your bubble. Get out of your cultural bubble as well. Get out of the English-speaking community. Mm-hmm. Get into the Japanese-speaking community. Find the Japanese people who don't speak English but don't care. Yeah. It's like, hey, I don't speak English. I don't care. Let's have fun. <laughs> okay, sure. Let's do something. Yeah. Um, find those people. It's, yeah, obviously if you don't have Japanese ability, that's gonna be taxing for you, so you can't do it all the time. But try it's it. still worth absolutely. doing. Absolutely. It's absolutely worth trying and doing. So yeah, that's something that would be kind of my big advice. Just get out of your bubble. Say both physically and just your comfort bubble. Okay, cool,
1: cool. That's, I think, some really good advice. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a good time to ask you a question that uh, you ask us mm-hmm. a lot is, so what's your long-term plan? Or what's, what do you see yourself later on or after your time at TIU? Because uh, that's, I think, a question that, in every single podcast of yours, you ask us. Yep. So if we can reverse that. Oh, absolutely. Point um, that one back at you. Ta!
0: So long term, mm-hmm. um, if you can't tell, don't want to stay in this area. Right. Um, you want to go where the sidewalk exists, not ends. Exactly. <laughs> I leave where the sidewalk ends, go back where the sidewalk is. Um, <laughs> um, long term, back north. Mm. Um be closer to my wife's family closer to Shami's family um, because she until we moved here she had never lived outside of Hokkaido um, she'd lived most of her life in Hakodate and a fair amount of time in Sapporo um, so this was a big move for her because she'd never moved out of, the, I would say out of Hokkaido um, and it'd be nice to be back closer to her family especially yeah. now with our daughter because yeah. um, it'd be nice for her to be close to at least some, like, mom's side of the family. Since my side of the family, that's, a, that's another issue. That's a since whole other move. That's, you know, literally another continent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, at least be near some family. At least the mom's side of the family, at least, if she can't be near dad's side of the family. So... Um, North, Hokkaido would be ideal, I suppose. Although I wouldn't say no to Tohoku. Because mm-hmm. um, I, lo- I love Tohoku. Especially if, like, really, Aomori would be great. Because Aomori would be just right across from Hakodate. But, yeah, back north. Um, ideally staying in university setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as I've, as I've told our bosses here, if I could take this school with me and put it in another part of Japan, that would be my ideal setting. Mm-hmm. Like, I like teaching here. I like our students I like my coworkers. I like my bosses I just don't like the location yeah I would love this to be in some other part of Japan mm-hmm. um, obviously if we're in some other part of Japan getting the number of students would be another issue but that's you know obviously not going to happen because we can't move a school that easily to another yeah. part of the country so yeah somewhere in the north is what we're looking at in the future
1: yeah Oh, well, man, I will say, at least from this one coworker here, we'd like you, we uh, wish that uh, we could go with you to the north or split in half, bifurcate ourselves, yeah, and like, you know, but I mean, I think that, yeah, it's definitely, it sounds like uh, it's a really, really clear that like, you know, your heart is there and like, yeah. and also. Just like as you said, like who are your wife's family, there's a lot of reasons to go towards there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So could you tell
0: us about how you met your wife?
1: And you would know, tell us about uh, like speaking of like you know, your family up north and everything. Like
0: Yep. So um, so how I met Shammy. Yeah. So I, we met when I when I was teaching at Hakodate at the Aikaiwa. Mm. Uh, because like, she's from Hakodate. Um, and she had gone to school in Sapporo, but had come back. She was back home for for a time, uh, staying with her with her folks. Um, and so we actually initially met through uh, Mixi, which is it still exists, but it's it's much it's a shell a shadow of its former self. It was kind of a uh, Japanese social media oh, okay. uh, platform, and you know they were trying to. It was, it was much more based on communities. Because mm. like, Facebook has communities, but that's not kind of the main thing. Mixi was really based on communities, like the Hakodate thing. And then here's Hokkaido mountain bikers. Here's Tokyo road cyclists. Here's mm. rock and roll guitar, whatever. And so it was really based on communities. Um, and we met through the Hakodate community um, on Mixi, actually. That's where we, we initially met. Um and, uh, yeah, so we dated for, we dated for a long time. Yeah. Um, that's, that's on me. <laughs> uh, um, being, being who I am, being very deliberate on everything. <laughs> um, yeah, we dated, I think we dated for almost seven years. We dated a long time before we got married. So,
1: hey, I don't know. I can appreciate that deliberation. I mean, like, and I'm sure, of I don't know. It's. It's interesting because what, like if we look generations ago, uh then there are people what like people who would date for like a month or something like that and then blam. Whereas like now it seems to be kind of more like, yeah, people will be with each other for a long time. Before they go through, like, the more formal, like, you know, like, yeah. this is the ceremony for a couple Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, but that doesn't change that you care about a person, and that doesn't change that, like, ah, oh, you think the world
0: of them, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. And your daughter's just about to turn one. She's just about to turn one, so, yeah, things are... I mean, so there's also that, that... that... I've stayed in Japan for a while. Yeah. So, for among... Uh, from. Uh, Besides all the reasons I don't want to go to the states right now, mm-hmm. um, but just yeah, with a with a one year, nearly one year old daughter and a wife who has never lived outside the country, and... yeah, when
1: moving from the north
0: of Japan to moving to Saitama
1: is a big move. Doing the cross continent change, It'd be yeah, yeah, and
0: I and I mean honestly.
1: Where else do I want to be right now? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems like you've really spent time, really built a life here, and you have been building up so much great experiences here. Yeah. Why stop it?
0: I mean, like I say, I, wanted, I figured two, maybe three years, and here I am 14 years later yeah. stepping off that plane, which was incidentally, side note, Mm-hmm. The day I landed in Japan to move for the JET program was my wife's 20th birthday. Whoa. <laughs> so there you go. We, yeah. we, we realized this probably just before we got married, actually. We realized, wait a minute. I was, looking, I was looking at my passport. I'm like, oh, my landing date. That's your birthday. Yeah. That was the birthday you turned 20. <laughs> that's funny. That so. is.
1: Yeah. No, that's just it's amazing how it all works out somehow that way.
0: Or just co- it's coincidences where we it, that we uh, give meaning to yeah. in our brains.
1: Yeah, and that's a way of it working out.
0: Indeed. Or it
1: works into our own narratives. In our own narratives. It's yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for talking with me. Oh, no, it's been fun. Uh, yeah, no, this is really, really cool to be able to be on this end of the podcast, too.
0: Well, thank you for sitting in my chair for this time,
1: no problem, no problem. It's like the uh, the Mike Burbiglia episodes where he's the one interviewing Mark Maron. Exactly. Yeah. Deep and on,
0: cut. And on that note, yeah.
1: No more obscure references. <laughs> he and everything's an obscure reference to you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And that's all for this episode, I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions for myself or any of my guests, we have an email account. You can send questions and comments to expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com, that's all one word. One more time, that's expandingcirclespodcast at gmail.com. The new school year has begun and we're busy with new classes here. Hopefully, I'll be able to get some people to sit down and talk with me in the coming weeks, which means that hopefully there will be new origin stories soon. So please subscribe and keep listening.